0: On a MAX train racing toward Northeast Portland's Hollywood Transit Center May 26, 2017, a tense confrontation suddenly turned deadly. Within 11 seconds, two men, Ricky Best and Talisha Namkai Meche, suffered mortal stab wounds. A third, Micah Fletcher, was seriously wounded. Nearly three years later, Jeremy Christian will finally stand trial for murder. A day that plunged Portland into mourning and drew international attention is back in the spotlight. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with The Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with Aimee Green, who's covered Multnomah County courts for 12 years. She sets the stage for one of the most high-profile murder trials in years. Green talked about what to expect in the five-week trial and what's happened in the past three years to prepare for it. But first, my colleague Shane Dixon-Cavanaugh on the two Portland natives, Jeremy Christian and Micah Fletcher, who will be key figures in the trial. Um, so here we are, almost uh, three years out, and the trial of... That's pretty hard to believe it's been almost three years. I know, it's remarkable, and he, here we are, and, and Jeremy Christian is finally uh, facing these murder charges, um, but taking a step back, uh, who who is Jeremy Christian? I know you've reported, um, since you joined, uh, rejoined the Oregonian, um, you've reported on his background. Remind folks, who was this guy, and what was he up to um, in the months prior to the stabbings,
1: Jeremy Christian, you know, Portland kid, lifelong Portlander, grew up in North Portland uh, and spent, you know, most of his youth and adolescence up there. He was a Jefferson High School student, didn't graduate, dropped out, got his GED. I mean, worked as a, a pizza delivery guy at Pietro's Pizza up on Lombard Boulevard. It really was in 2002 where. I mean, something sort of radically changed with Jeremy Christian, and it sort of caught a lot of his friends and family um, off guard. It was something that came out of the blue but was uh, pretty surprising and shocking, which was, uh, you know, there was a a convenience store market up on Lombard that Jeremy Christian was actually a regular customer at. And back in 2002, and I want to say he was 20 or 21 at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, he walked in there armed with a gun. Uh, you know, he threatened to kill the clerk behind the counter. Uh, he handcuffed this guy, robbed the convenience store, and then took off on a bike and was in a chase with police. And, uh, you know, when the police had eventually stopped him, he drew a weapon uh, and cops shot him in the face. Uh, he took a bullet right below his uh, right eye, wow. on the cheek. And, uh, you know, this armed robbery and kidnapping uh, conviction, which he pleaded guilty to both put him in jail uh, for the next seven or eight years and uh, you know based on all sort of accounts now I mean this is coming from his defense lawyers mm-hmm. and also sort of the mental health professionals that they have used in his uh, preparation for his trial to sort of evaluate his mental health um, I mean not only was this armed robbery uh, a pretty serious offense 15 you know 15 years before this uh, attack, uh, the time he spent in jail, you know, at least according to his lawyers, uh, seemed to take a sort of significant toll on him and sort of shaped his outlook um, for the coming years.
0: Is there any sense, chain of did this attack um, or the robbery, armed robbery, come out of left field or was he kind of building towards some sort of break?
1: Uh, I mean, the initial robbery, you know, again, sort of based on the, the review of the court records and uh, talking with neighbors and friends of Jeremy Christian sort of early on. Mm-hmm. Again, it really did sort of seem that it came out of left field. I mean, here was this kid again. Uh, he had a decent, uh, you know, sort of decent working class job uh, for somebody who didn't graduate from high school. Uh, he was into he was into metal. And he was really into comic books. Right. And, but, you know, he was a you know kid who liked, uh, you know, music and comic books, worked a straight job, and then this happened. But, uh, you know, he said some pretty kind of uh, concerning or disturbing things after he was arrested for this robbery, some things that sounded like he might have already been suffering potentially uh, from some mental health issues, which may uh, have been only exacerbated after spending seven or eight years in Oregon state prisons, some of that, uh, in isolation. And I mean, we've seen this time and time again, uh, people who, uh, who are already dealing with potential mental health issues when they go into, uh, the prison system, they, they come out and most of the time they're not better.
0: Yeah. They're not rehabilitated, which is, uh, you know, ideally what the system is supposed to, supposed to do. Um, and so what happened, um, What was he up to uh, after he was released from prison and in in the lead up to... To uh, May 26 twenty seventeen.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things was, uh, you know, he was it, uh, sort of continued to be in and out of prison after that first robbery conviction. He was arrested several more times, probation violations, but uh, you know, and after that, he never really had a steady job. But a lot of people remembered Jeremy Christian and actually encountered him quite a bit uh, because he was around town often. And uh, one of the things that he did was that because he became an obsessive comic book collector, Mm -hmm. he had something like over 15,000 comics. But he was well known to some because he uh, sort of set up shop outside of Powell's downtown and routinely traded and sold comic books there. But also, uh, I mean, people who interacted with him in that capacity also saw. Uh, parts or you know sides of the jeremy christian that the people on the max train in may 2017 also saw um this guy uh you know uh, sort of was always confrontational and could say some fairly um disturbing or offensive things now whether or not Uh, It came from a place of uh, sort of a, a, a white supremacist ideology or a racist background. Um, I mean, a lot of people suspect that, again, his lawyers have argued that uh, instead of thinking of Jeremy Christian as a white supremacist, which was sort of the working theory right after the attacks, they have tried to argue, at least, uh, that uh, you need to think of him more as a person who is caught up in conspiracy theories, has a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, he's not sort of socially adept, and that one of his sort of fixations and obsessions is around this idea of free speech and also provocation to sort of say things that will offend or get people's attention or elicit a reaction or a response. Mm -hmm. Um, He did that frequently as a comic book vendor outside of Powell's, and then we also sort of see in the days and months leading up to this attack, that same sort of behavior, both on Online, on social media, Jeremy Christian was a prolific person on Facebook, uh, making, uh, you know, comments regularly and making some pretty... uh Again, I keep using the word disturbing, but saying, uh, you know, racist at times, but also disturbing things. I mean, uh, he talked about wanting to kill Jeff Sessions, who was the attorney general at one point. Mm -hmm. Uh, He often said things uh, that were uh, xenophobic, uh, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, but also tinged a lot of his sort of words and commentary uh, with threats of violence as well.
0: And so obviously Jeremy Christian isn't existing in a vacuum and, and this whole free speech, uh, mantra is kind of part of a national trend, right. That was occurring at the time when you talk of, uh, well, it's, it ebbs and flows through history, through American history, but you know, uh, uh the, uh, conservative, uh, blogger Milo, uh, Annapolis, uh, was touring college campuses at this time. There were, um, you know, right wing provocateurs on Portland streets at the time marching um, that continues to this day. Right. I mean, there's a larger context that he's, you know, maybe not the main player in, but he's part of this ecosystem.
1: Yeah. And it's not really, uh, you know, really clear. I mean, how sort of. Uh, wedded to a particular political ideology Christian had. I mean, people have pointed out that, I mean, he was badmouthing Jeff Sessions. I think a lot of people have, uh, you know, argued, at least according to his post, that he was a Bernie Sanders supporter at right. one point. Uh, so, you know, he's sort of all over the map. Uh, but again, uh, whether or not it's an accurate portrayal, uh w- I think the sort of uh, his the mental health professionals that have examined him and his defense lawyers when you take the further step back. I mean, it does all, all of his sort of behavior does kind of make more sense through sort of the prism of, uh, you know, his defense's theory, which is here is a guy uh, who is, you know, saying some very vile and violent and scary things. Mm-hmm. Uh most of the time to just elicit the type of responses that he was accustomed to getting and uh so we we saw that you know outside of Powell's uh, you know in hundreds of Facebook posts and messages, and then um you know a month before this stabbing mm-hmm. uh Jeremy Christian shows up at this patriot prayer rally that occurs. Um, uh, in, you know, uh, in East Portland off of 82nd Avenue. Um, so he shows up at this free speech rally that was being held at Montevilla Park. Mm-hmm. And people really remember Jeremy Christian because of uh, his his behavior and his, uh, you know, his actions there. He showed up draped in a. Uh, An American flag. He came armed with a baseball bat, which was confiscated by police. And then, you know, he made a number of racist comments and even gave uh, the Hitler salute. Uh, which was uh, enough to sort of get him eighty mm-hmm. sixth from <laughs> from the rally, and there were you know there were uh, people there supporting uh, you know Patriot Prayer's message of free speech, but there were also a lot of counter protesters. But once Jeremy Christian started throwing the Heil Hitlers in the air, um, he sort of uh, became an unwelcome party to everybody who was there.
0: Another. Portland kid who was at that event as well as a counter protester was on the train that day um, and uh, was one of the men who confronted uh, Jeremy Christian. Uh, he survived, but not without uh, serious wounds. Um, you, you reported on Micah Fletcher quite a bit um, in the aftermath of, of the uh, stabbings. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, about Micah? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um So Micah is another uh, lifelong Portlander. He grew up in sort of southeast Portland, and uh, off of sort of 92nd and Division, I think, is where he kind of grew up. And I mentioned that specific location because when talking with Micah in my uh, encounters with him, he has always... Been, uh, you know, very reflective on sort of where he grew up and where he came from, and he sort of describes. Uh, and I know a lot of sort of outer southeast Portland gets the moniker "Felony Flats." Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Micah sort of considers himself as sort of growing up there in a very sort of working class family. And you know, you've got Jeremy Christian in in sort of a you know a blue collar background in North Portland, and you got Micah Fletcher uh, with a sort of similar background growing up in. Uh, Outer Southeast Portland. And, you know, uh, one thing about Micah is uh, he's, uh, you know, he's autistic. uh, So sort of on the on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. but was also uh, went to Madison High School and was a lyricist and poet. Uh, I mean, uh, and performed in a number of competitions that he that he has won. And uh, he was attending uh, Portland State University. And also, I believe that he was actually working at a pizza shop uh, and was going to work uh, when he was, uh, you know, uh, when he confronted Jeremy Christian on the Max train.
0: And this is a guy who uh, short stature, um, but kind of wants to uh, step into um to protect people, I guess,
1: as
0: something that his friends characterized as a trait.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you you know, I I, I would say that, you know, Micah Fletcher is, uh, you know, overall a very empathetic and compassionate individual. Um, I mean, uh, you know, in my conversations with him and the way in which he's talked about Jeremy Christian, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of mixed feelings about what happened. And Jeremy Christian killed two people and almost killed Micah, uh, but you know, Micah also has reflected on sort of Christian's own background and circumstances, and has talked about uh, Christian's time in jail as you know potentially shaping his, his sort of you know behavior, uh, you know, afterward. So he's he's thought about that uh, you know quite a bit as well, and uh, you know he's talked about what brought him out to the 82nd Avenue uh, Patriot Prayer protest he showed up as a counter protester with a with a whole group of individuals right. that decided that they were going to go uh dressed as clowns <laughs> so uh you know uh, michael fletcher showed up with a red nose and jester's hat and he was juggling balls out on the uh, out on 82nd avenue in the wendy's parking lot out there by by gleason and at one point uh you know fletcher and christian actually you know, uh, sort of run into each other Mm -hmm. at this, uh, you know, at this uh, free speech event or this at this protest and counter protest, which was something that most people didn't know about until months after the attack. I think it was in October of 2017. And I was back here in the Oregonian newsroom and we came across video. uh, You know, there's a lot of video shot at these uh, political demonstrations. And it very clearly showed that there was this moment where, uh, michael fletcher stepped in between jeremy christian and some other people to try to de-escalate a situation that was quickly sort of appearing to get out of hand and then to think that only a month later he was stepping between jeremy christian and some other people on this max train uh, with a very sort of different outcome
0: now a conversation with Imy green we started by discussing why it took almost three years to get to the trial I mean, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to come in and talk today. Appreciate sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's been you know almost three years since uh, the Max stabbings. Uh, why did it take so long to go to trial?
2: Well, I think it's a very complicated case. Uh, the attorneys on both sides, the prosecution and the defense attorneys, they don't want to mess this up. They want to follow procedure. For most of this time, he was facing the possibility of the death penalty because he qualified to be charged with aggravated murder. That just complicates things. And there's a lot of processes. Um, There's a lot of discovery, a lot of investigation that needs to be done. And I think the attorneys want to make sure that the case won't be appealed. I mean, it will. if It it would have been if it had been a death penalty case.
0: Well, you answered one of my questions I had there to refresh folks' memory. Uh, Why is the death penalty off the table in uh, Jeremy Christian's uh, case?
2: The state legislature last year passed Senate Bill 1013. Um, That really narrowed the definition of crimes uh, that qualified for the death penalty, a new crime of first-degree murder, as well as second degree murder. They were both created. Um, and uh, there are very few cases where someone would be charged with aggravated murder now that the law has taken effect. Um, it used to be that killing two people um, automatically allowed prosecutors to pursue aggravated murder charges. Um, that's no longer the case. And it's, it's common, even in a murder case, that it would take well over a year for the case to be prosecuted and either go to trial or result in a plea.
0: Uh, take us back to some of Jeremy Christian's court appearances uh, through the, the last couple years. What was his behavior like uh, when he was appearing in court?
2: Well, at first, um, he seemed kind of animated, maybe agitated, just moving around a lot, looking around a lot. Um, his first court appearances, I can remember one of his first court appearances days after his arrest. some of the victims were in the room when I say that victims families or victim being Micah Fletcher um, the man who survived being stabbed in the neck I think he was fresh out of the hospital Jeremy Christian looked over at him and uh, basically blamed him said something that placed fault on Micah Fletcher um, yelled it out and uh, it could be heard out in the halls that's how loud he yelled it Um, I've been at a hearing where he also held up a Don't Tread on Me um, little placard or sticker. Mm -hmm. Um, This was in, I think, November 2017. Micah Fletcher again was in the courtroom gallery, and it appeared that he was waving it directly at Micah Fletcher, trying to um, engage him. And then last year, there was another hearing where he yelled out and interrupted uh, a witness who was... um, making some commentary to the judge and yelled out, liar, 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 and um, some other stuff. And he had to be removed from the courtroom by deputies.
0: I mean, let's talk about the jury pool. Uh, Why is it so big, right? We're talking thousands of people are are being called here. And what challenges are there by holding a trial here in Portland, given the high profile nature of the attacks?
2: Well, uh, the defense attorneys tried to get it moved out of Portland. Um, They were unsuccessful In their request, Um, the judge said she thought it would be possible to get a fair and impartial jury. Um, They've called 2,400 jurors. That is a huge number. In part, it's because of the length of the trial. It's going to be five weeks long. Um, And I think in part, it's because they worry that so many people already know about this case and have formed opinions. It's going to be interesting during jury selection which I will be sitting in on, to see how much jurors know about this case. I would be surprised if there was a juror who didn't know about this case. Um, but a question, I'm sure, will be asked. Do you, have you for, formed an opinion from what you've already heard? Can you enter this trial with an open mind?
0: And um, the size of the pool, 2,400, um, it, it, how does that compare to most cases you cover? Or to I don't know if you can recall, like a murder case that you might cover.
2: I don't know the exact numbers, but... I know on a typical day in the jury room, there might be a couple hundred jurors. And I should clarify that they they called, they summoned, they sent letters to 2,400 people. Okay. I did find out that 682 jurors did show up. And you may say, wow, that's, I think that's 27%. That's a puny number. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, are these people, how can people just ignore a jury summons? But um, I think that's not surprising to me a lot of people don't show up for jury duty for one reason or another maybe they just lost the letter maybe they sure. couldn't make it that day um, maybe they just didn't want to
0: well uh, it's your civic duty show up to <laughs> jury duty
2: yes and uh, it's the it's the law you could be you could get in trouble with a judge for it but I've never heard it happening in Oregon
0: let's talk about the players in the case I mean uh, who's the judge
2: her name is Cheryl Albright um, she is a uh, an experienced lawyer and judge. I feel like she's very even handed, um, very fair. Um, I feel like she listens to both sides um, and she's been good in communicating to the media and allowing us access to the courtroom. I I think she's a, a, a good judge to oversee this very lengthy and difficult trial.
0: And what about the prosecutors? I would imagine that, uh, you know, a case like this, high profile, it's probably the uh, the A-team.
2: Yes. Um, Jeff Howes, Don Reese, they're both very senior attorneys in the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office. Um, they've done so many cases, I wouldn't even know how to quantify it. Um, the most difficult cases, a wide assortment of cases, murder cases. Um, now, though, they mainly are in administrative rules, mm-hmm. um, but they've, um, they're handling this case, I think, because it's um, a very important case. And um, the, I think they'll do a good job. They're very skilled. Uh,
0: what about uh, Jeremy Christian's uh, defense attorneys? Um, what do you know about, about those folks?
2: Dean Smith and Greg Scholl, um, they are very diligent um, handling uh cases like this, I would say death penalty cases is their thing, but since the law has changed and there are going to be far fewer death penalty cases, um, handling serious cases involving death is um, something they're very experienced in and they're, like many defense attorneys, I can tell they're very strong believers in the Constitution and although it may be difficult to represent a client like Jeremy Christian, uh, they believe it's, um, he deserves representation. Representation and he deserves their best efforts.
0: What's your sense of how they're going to go about defending Christian? Uh, given you know there are so many witnesses that day, and appears to be no argument, right? That that he killed two people.
2: Yes, they have acknowledged time and time again that these stabbings did take place, that two people did die, and um, one was seriously injured. I think the dispute is. How should the criminal justice system deal with someone like Jeremy Christian? What crime should he be convicted of, if any? I think there's a range of arguments they could make. Um, Really obvious one that has been out there that I think Jeremy Christian personally probably really wants them to vigorously pursue is he was acting in self-defense that he was ganged up on by people on the MAX train. Um, that it was a reasonable reaction to pull out a knife um, because it was, maybe he will argue, three people on one. It was three on one, and um, he felt threatened, genuinely threatened. Um, That's going to be a really tough argument to sell to the jury, um, given that he's the one who had the knife, um, that there were many, many witnesses there And I don't I have not heard any evidence that that they outright attacked him. Um, There is some interesting evidence um, that I expect to come out about Micah Fletcher possibly pointing or waving his finger at Jeremy Christian. Um, That's according to the defense attorney's. Uh, The prosecution has said in a memo that there was some shoving going on. Um, Sounds like they're saying that Jeremy Christian shoved first um, and uh, that Micah Fletcher um, shoved back in response. So a shove, a finger in the air, I I, know, I mean, it's very hard for me to fathom that any reasonable juror, would think that that a reasonable response is to pull out a knife and and kill people or try to kill people. The defense attorneys could argue that uh, he's guilty except for insanity. Um, I don't think Jeremy Christian is very fond of that defense um, because, for one, um, it brands him as insane. And I don't think he looks at himself as In that way, um, I think he looks at himself as misunderstood and he's looking forward to this trial because it'll give him an opportunity to air his views and explain what happened or his defense attorneys to explain what happened. And it also would net him possibly a sentence that would result in the rest of his life being spent at the state psychiatric hospital. And he does not want that. Um, He wants to get out. He wants an acquittal. And with self-defense, it is possible that he could get an acquittal theoretically. Um, they also could argue that um, he's uh, he was partially not responsible because of his mental state for what happened, because mm-hmm. he was so overcome by three people surrounding him that he, in his eyes, he felt threatened. Um, he has served time in prison for robbery before. And um, I've heard from people in prison that um, you kind of got to watch your back. And he may argue that he felt ganged up on. Um, And there may be an argument that um, he lacks um, social understandings. He he doesn't pick up on social cues correctly. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why he reacted that way. There's one last thing they could argue. Uh-huh. There's sure. a lot of things they've thrown out there. Um, they could argue that he was suffering from an extreme emotional disturbance. Um, an extreme emotional disturbance. Um, traditionally, in law school, they they teach lawyers that it, it's um a spouse coming home, um and finding um their lover in bed with someone else and. Just kind of losing it, flying off the handle, and a blind um, rage, right? Exactly, and stabbing and killing or shooting. Um, but this is a very different circumstance, and I know the prosecutors um, are arguing that he shouldn't be allowed to argue that under Oregon law.
0: Will prosecutors lean on um, his behavior uh, to the the two uh, African American women on the train um, prior to you know the confrontation? Is that something that you expect? will factor heavily in in the trial
2: well i think they're definitely going to want to set up the scene and the circumstances that led to the stabbing they're going to call on witnesses who will describe um what they heard jeremy christian saying um where he was in proximity to these two teenage girls Mm -hmm. um What they really have to do is just improve, prove that he intended to kill. And one of the ways that I've heard people talk about that, um, that they think that they think that his strategy was to get on the train and agitate people and stir the pot and get people upset so he could have a confrontation with them. And so he was saying outrageous, awful things and he was trying to get a reaction and we'll see in trial, but he may have gotten that reaction Um, Maybe a mild reaction, someone walking up to him and um, addressing him. And we'll hear what words were exactly used.
0: Jones and for a fight, I guess, the the night before this happened, uh, Demetria Hester, uh, an African-American woman, had a confrontation, uh, according to her and according to witnesses, with with Christian on transit.
2: Yeah, the prosecutors are going to use that, too, saying, hey, look, um, less than 24 hours before he started stabbing. He was saying things like awful things about the, the religions that he hates, them um, the races that he hates, um, and saying things like, um, I'm, according to Demetria Hester, that he was wanting to kill her, um, that um, he was wanting to stab someone. Um, there is a video recording um, taken after his interaction with Demetria Hester. Um, It was on a different train, and someone recorded him saying that he wanted to stab someone, and um, that included the train operator.
0: There were 113 people on that train that day, I mean, more people on the platform at the Hollywood Transit Center. Uh, How many people can we expect to testify in this case? Do you have any sense?
2: So as of this week, the week before jury selection begins, I have asked for witness lists, and um, they have not been publicly released. So I don't know how many witnesses will be called, but I do know that it will be a lengthy list. Um, There will be many, many witnesses who will testify um, about what they saw, and it's going to be very difficult testimony to listen to, very emotional testimony um, for the um, victims' families. for Micah Fletcher, um, if he's in the courtroom, he has a right to be there. All the victims have a right to be there. It's going to be really tough to listen to.
0: Well, let's take a break and we can discuss this uh, tough case a, a little bit more. I Amy, mean, you said you have no sense of how many folks will testify or who will testify, but will Jeremy Christian testify?
2: That's also a great question. Um, I've talked to people, legal observers, and um, I've gotten split answers. I mean, everybody's just guessing. But um, I think Jeremy Christian wants to testify. I think um, we can look at his Facebook page um, before the stabbings. Um, He was posting all kinds of stuff about Hillary Clinton, about circumcision, about um, how he was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, He wants his ideas known out there. He wants them discussed. Um, We know he likes attention. He wants to engage people because he was out along the max lines, writing the max lines, um, talking about all sorts of subjects, trying to engage people. Um, One would imagine trying to upset people based on the content of what he was saying. Um, he wants people to hear him, and that's why he wants this trial, I think. Um, he could have um, worked out a plea agreement, um, but uh, he wanted this forum. He wanted five weeks in a courtroom and all of this discussed. And maybe he believes that um, he can convince people that it really was self defense or he really shouldn't be convicted of first degree murder for one reason or another. Um, But, yeah, I I mean, I think that um, also from his outbursts, we can tell that he wants to be heard. And so will he testify? Um, Maybe. But I think that his defense attorneys, very seasoned defense attorneys, are probably trying to convince him not to testify. Um, It just there's too many concerns. Um, One, uh, his criminal history will come out and the jurors will get to know that he was convicted of robbery and maybe... They'll get to understand why um, his face or his skull is slightly dented in because he was shot in the face um, during the commission of his robbery. And um, they'll get to know he served time in prison. They'll also um, get to hear his voice. And the times that I've heard his voice, um, he sounds angry um, and he sounds very forceful. And the question is, will that come across violent will that help him? But ultimately, it's Jeremy Christen's decision, whether he gets to testify or not. His defense attorneys can try to convince him not to, um, but uh, he gets the final say.
0: Uh, Attorneys on both sides have made a big deal, I mean, out of a request from the prosecution for the jury to tour the max car. Why did prosecutors want to do that? And why was that issue so contentious?
2: I think the prosecutors genuinely do want jurors to understand the scene where this happened. Um, They want them to understand who is standing where. Um, They want jurors to understand the space. Um, And also when a lot, probably all the jurors have been on a MAX train before, but when they step on a MAX train and and they think about it in this particular car, they think about, wow, this is a confined space. They're thinking about what happened here and this is a confined space and people are really close together. that it will help them fully understand um, the scene and what happened. Uh, I think that defense attorneys are very concerned because they worry about emotion. They worry about juries getting, jurors getting emotional. Um, they've uh, likened it to um, having the jurors um, be part of a funeral procession, walking through the train car, putting themselves in, um, In the shoes of um, those who were stabbed, thinking about, wow, I could have been standing here and I could have been stabbed in the neck right here. Or, wow, this is right where um, the victims bled to death.
0: Ricky Best and Taliesin.
2: Yes. And and thinking about Micah Fletcher, and this is where the blood was spurting out of his neck. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just awful. But it's very graphic stuff. They're going to see videos of this, TriMet surveillance videos, cell phone videos of the actual killings. And then to have them walk onto the Max train car where it happened, It's it's the defense attorneys. It's just not what they want. That said, the judges ruled that although jurors do get to visit a max a max train car, it will not be the max train car where the actual killings occurred. And, of course, the, the car has been um, cleaned up and put back in service. Right. It looks like any other car. And so the judge said, well, same, same model, uh, identical car. We'll have the jurors walk through that.
0: You mentioned the videos. Um, You know, we live in a society with video cameras everywhere at the ready. Um, So you expect that a lot of video evidence that we haven't um, seen yet um, will come to light during the trial?
2: Yes. Back in 2017, there was a hearing um, in which uh, the judge was shown videos um, from the train, videos of what happened um, as the police detective said um, eleven stabs in eleven seconds, uh, but the screens were turned away from the courtroom gallery. Um, the public didn't get to see the videos mm-hmm. um, when I say didn't get, maybe that's a strange way to phrase it because it's something that I personally don't want to see um, it, it's just a very sad thing, but Um, In today's times, people have cell phones. And because this happened on a train, there were surveillance videos. It's extremely unusual for killings to take place on video. And when they do, they're usually um, blurry surveillance video. Maybe they capture part of the killing, but they don't capture the whole scene. Maybe you see the flash from a gun um, or you see someone off in the distance fall to the ground. And of course, that's very sad. But these videos, I have not seen them. But as I understand, um, are extremely um, graphic, vivid and show in detail what happened.
0: And those are going to be shown to the entire courtroom.
2: We'll see. Um, In my mind, there's a question about whether the judge will allow um, the videos to be shown to the whole courtroom. It's pretty unusual in a in any sort of um, trial open court the public can see everything it's it's shown in public view but this is an unusual case. I mean I think the judge does have to think about the deaths of two people being caught on video um, and um, she may be asked um, to um, have the screens turn away from. Everybody in the courtroom, except for the jurors, Jeremy Christian and the lawyers um, and herself, or um, she may not. Um, it'll be interesting to see what her decision is.
0: Now, I mean, you've covered a lot of a lot of cases and um, some big murder cases. Uh, what sticks out to you about this one in particular?
2: Well, um, most murder cases involve one person being killed. There aren't, aren't very many double homicide cases out there Um, and this was almost a triple homicide. Um, So the number of people is shocking. Um, The fact that it was um, strangers being killed, um, it seemed like such a chance thing that um, any one of us could have been riding the MAX train. And um, these are people just going about their lives. Um, Ricky Best coming Home from work um, to see his family. I mean, he had four kids and a wife in mm-hmm. Happy Valley. Um, Taliesin, um, he uh, was a recent Reed College graduate. He's starting out his new life, his new adult life. Um, Micah Fletcher, a lifelong Montevilla resident, and he, you know, he's interested in community act- activism and poetry, and um, you know, these are. Regular people, and um, they ended up in this situation.
0: Um, on a rush hour train uh, on a Friday afternoon on a beautiful day.
2: Yes, May, a, a great time in Portland. And then you throw in there, too, the political scene, the U.S. political scene that Donald Trump had been president for a couple months. Um, people are really thinking um, that this is a, a tense time in America. And then, so then at the same time, Uh, we have this guy who steps on a train, and he um, is drunk, he's angry, he's yelling, and he's saying terrible things about Muslims and different religions and people from different countries. And we have all these people on the train who are listening to this, and what we're told at first is that— some of those people stood up and they came to the defense of these teenage girls. Um, one of them was wearing a hijab. Mm-hmm. And um, wow, isn't that, you know, that's great. That's like the good side of things, fighting against the ugly side of um, racism and xenophobia. And uh, these other passengers stepped in and intervened. Um, one thing about this trial um, that I'm going into it with a mindset of is I am not necessarily necessarily saying that's a story. Um, I am going to listen to the witnesses, see the videos, and we may see that there's a slightly, slightly different story that emerges. Um, I haven't heard anything that Ricky Best has done that he actually intervened. He may have been stepping away. He may have been moving not to step in between Jeremy Christian and the others. He may have been trying to get away from Someone who sounded um, like he was flying off the handle. Um Taliesin, like said,
0: he was just going home to his family, right?
2: Yeah, maybe, you know, he's just a commuter and he's, you know, he can see this is a, a dangerous situation. He's trying to remove himself from it. I don't know if that's what happened. Um, Taliesin, I don't know if he did anything other than record um, what was happening on his cell phone video. Um, and what Micah Fletcher did. Exactly. Um, we'll hear directly from Micah Fletcher and we will um, we, we will hear from witnesses and, and, and see what he did. But um, I'm going into this with an open mind. Um, um, and from there, we'll, we'll, we'll hear the story directly from the people who witnessed it.
0: This felt like a big story nationally in the moment, given the context that you mentioned um, with the Trump administration and kind of the rise of hate speech really um all over the country, has that level of national ten- tension waned, or is, do you think it's still there or might come back with this trial?
2: I think national media are watching this trial. Um, I think the interest is still there because the issues are still there, and, and and there's there's definitely, of course, a sense of outrage, and people want want to know how it turns out.
0: Well, thanks so much for being there. I know it's going to be tough, but we appreciate all your work, and thanks for your insights.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Read IME's latest story about the trial at OregonLive.com. Check out my stories on the transportation beat at OregonLive.com commuting or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Thien. Catch up on all the past episodes by subscribing to Beat Check anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks to those listeners who have reviewed the show in Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. If you appreciate or enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review to help us spread the word. Until next time.